as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said to him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. For such things must be, but the end shall not be yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in many places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues you shall be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you, deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. It is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never our study in the Gospel of Mark continues in Mark chapter 13 with Jesus giving us an overview of things to come. In this lesson, verses 1 through 13, we find four disciples sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Dr. Mitchell will point out about persecution that it is less in the United States and Canada, but as of today, things are changing in this present generation, not against religion, but against the Savior, against our love for Him and against the gospel of the grace of God. And here in the 21st century, Dr. Mitchell makes reference to the 20th century. And here we are in another year of this 21st century with the word of God still unchanged. It is still trustworthy. It is still intact. It is still able to minister to this current generation, revealing the person and work and program of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word, Bible broadcast, Mark chapter 13, verse 1. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you with simple studies in the Word of God. Uh, we just seek to share with you the wonderful truths concerning our Savior, His marvelous work which He accomplished for us at the cross, guaranteed to us by resurrection, and to know that we have a Savior on the throne today, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, and yet one who is working all things out after the counsel of his own will. You know, it's an amazing thing that we Christians, we who claim to love the Savior, we know so little about him. That's not his fault. That's ours because he declared in John 16 that the Spirit of God would come and indwell us and he would guide us into all truth. He would take the things of Christ and, 
and show them unto us. And the trouble is we get so occupied with, with passing transient things, things of everyday living, and we have our own little ideas of how to live and so on. And first thing you know, our, our days are filled with just, shall I say, a lot of little things, and yet to us might be wonderful things. And yet we neglect the most important thing, growing in the grace and knowledge of God. You remember this was the last word of Peter when he wrote in Second Peter, the last, the last chapter, chapter 3. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice we're not only to grow in the knowledge of God, but in the grace of God. That means that when the knowledge of God, which fills our mind, becomes a living reality, a life-giving thing into our lives, it transforms us. See? And the thing that moves people are transformed lives. Oftentimes they won't listen to preachers. They may not even listen to your testimony, what you might say to them, but your life ought to be such that it speaks for something of the grace and the glory and the preciousness of our Savior. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to know him, to love him, and then in one way or another to communicate the truth to others, that they too might come to know him whom to know is life eternal. And you remember that's what our Lord said in John 17, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now we're studying together the gospel through Mark, and we're in chapter 13, which takes up the, the prophetical side of our Lord's ministry. Allow me to repeat what I said in, in what we said at the closing of our last lesson, that the Lord Jesus has been, has been he has rebuffed uh, these leaders of Israel, the scribes and the elders, the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, and he's warned us concerning uh, hypocrisy. And the more hypocritical we are, the greater will be our condemnation. What God wants is reality. Now, you know that as well as I do. Uh, God's not playing around. He knows. And what he wants is reality. You can fool men, but you can't fool him. He knows the very motives of your heart. He not only knows what you do, but he knows why you do it. He knows your motives. I can see what you do, but I can't judge your motives. But he can. And the chapter ends, you remember, chapter 12, with that little wonderful story of the widow who gave all that she had. I don't want to go back over that again, but we come to chapter 13, and we were mentioning the fact that uh, if you have the time to take Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and Luke chapter 21, where you have the Olivet Discourse together with Mark chapter 13. There's also a little prophetic picture in Luke, Luke chapter 17 where the Lord spoke of the fact that of the condition of the world in the last days just before his return to the earth. And he uses Noah and Lot as an illustration. The condition of the world then is going to be the condition of the world when he returns, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. Now we come to chapter 13, where our Lord, you remember, is going to pronounce judgment upon the city and upon the temple. 
He's already made hints of that in Matthew chapter 23, when he wept over Jerusalem. And you remember, he said, uh, I leave your house unto you desolate, second last verse, and you'll never see me again until you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In Luke chapter 19, you have where the Lord wept over Jerusalem because they, were, they had decided they were choosing a destroyer instead of a deliverer, and he wept over the city. Now we come to Matthew, Mark chapter 13, and in the first four verses, we have a question, question raised by the disciples. Allow me to read the first four verses. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said to him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things be fulfilled? Now this is the question raised. Now remember, they were coming, they were leaving the temple, and one of the disciples said, Do you see, do you see these great stones? See what a wonderful building is here? And the Lord says, Do you see these great buildings? There shall not be one left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Then apparently they went out of the temple, away from the city, up unto the Mount of Olives. And if you go to the Mount of Olives, you look right over the city. If you were to sit down on the Mount of Olives, which I have done, and you look down, you look right down into the temple courtyard. You see the temple, and you see the city with its walls. And he sat down and looked over the city. And the disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, these four fishermen, you remember, asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? You go to Matthew, you know, uh, they were speaking there concerning the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, which he prophesied. And then they asked concerning when it would be and what would be the sign of his coming, that is, his return. Now, in verses 5, right down through verse 31, you have the answer of the question. But first of all, uh, let me take the verses 5 to 8. And here we have warnings regarding things that are evident throughout the age. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. For such things must be, but the end shall not be yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there shall be earthquakes in many places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. From the cross and resurrection of our Savior until his return, this is the pattern of, of the history of the earth. And by the way, that's been true. Now, it's true that in 70 A.D., the city was destroyed. 
The temple was pulled to pieces, not one stone left upon another. I'm not going to go into that because that's just plain history. Uh, you can read about that. Our Lord makes more detail of it in Matthew chapter 24, but I'm just taking here to Mark. And then he gives us a history of what's going to take place between his death and resurrection and his return. They're going to be false Christs. Many shall say, come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. This, this is true right down through the age. We have men today who claim, as one man claims to be the second Messiah, that Jesus had his day, now he's the one who's coming. And he's gathering quite a few people around him. And uh, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be troubled. These things must be, but the end shall not be yet. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in many places, famines, troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, I want you to mark that although this is true right on down through these centuries, it begins to multiply toward the end of this age. You see, friends, we are coming to the end of this age. Uh, and if our Savior is prophesying and predicting what is going to take place, you and I, if we're Christians, can lift up our heads for our redemption draws nigh. I'm talking about the complete redemption. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean by that, that when Christ died for me, for you, he died for the whole man, spirit, soul, body. My body may go into the dust. Down through the centuries, God's people have died. Their bodies have gone back to dust. But his redemption carries not only for the soul and spirit, but also for the body. And the time's going to come when the bodies are going to be raised and fashioned like unto his glorious body. As Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, the whole creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And we too, we ourselves are waiting for the completion of our redemption. See, we mentioned that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, 13 and 14. You find Ephesians 4, uh, 30, for example, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption, the day when our bodies will be redeemed. This is what Peter speaks of in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6, when he speaks of the fact that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto a salvation yet to be revealed in the last time. What salvation is that? The redemption of the body. Paul speaks of it in Romans 13. It's high time to awake out of sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we believed. Well, I thought we were saved. Yes, we are saved. We are being saved. We are yet to experience the completion of that salvation. As Paul wrote a Thessalonian church in chapter 5, when he said, Now the God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God, your whole being, spirit, soul, body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Verses 23 and 24 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And one could go into many other scriptures. Suffice for me to say, that we are coming now toward the end of this age when the purpose of God for this age will be completed. And what our Lord is warning about here in verses 5 through 8, here is a pattern of what's happening 
right through the age. Remember, he's talking to them in the first century. You and I are in the 20th century. And we look back and we see what our Savior said is absolutely true, uh, that this is the history of the world between the death and resurrection of our Savior until his return. And then in verses 9 to 13, he speaks of a period of persecution for his people. Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you, deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. It is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit. The brother shall betray the brother to death, the father the son. The children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Then he follows along with the question of the great tribulation period. Now let me just, first of all, speak of this fact. This period of persecution. This has always been true since the death and resurrection of our Savior. The first two or three centuries of the Christian church, to be a Christian meant martyrdom. In fact, as far as we know, every one of the apostles were martyred. We're not too sure about John. According to church history, John was, had been boiled in oil. He had been banished to the Isle of Patmos as a slave to work in the mines. For well, you remember, he wrote the book of Revelation there and then came back to Ephesus and became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, I'm just quoting church history on this or uh, what they believe took place. And down through the centuries, we've had persecution of one sort or another. Now, I must, I must just stop you. It's an amazing thing, you know, that America and Canada are about the only two countries in the world that have never suffered persecution because you're a Christian. Oh, I know you might be called all kinds of names, but that never hurt you. I mean, we've had no martyrdoms for Christ's sake, as far as I know. You go down South America, uh, there were times in most of these countries uh, where, where Christians were, were persecuted, their houses were burned down, as some were dragged behind cars till they were killed. Many suffered martyrdom. This is true, true in, in Africa. It was, it's true in practically any part of the world, even in Great Britain, that the time of the martyrs in Great Britain and all through Europe. But as far as I know, America is the only place with Canada, North America, where we never had persecution just because we love the Savior. My, how we've been blessed of God. Now, I'm not saying it won't happen here. I wouldn't dare say that because human nature being what it is and knowing something of the hatred in the hearts of men against the gospel and those who love the Savior, uh, I would tell you right now that there could be a persecution of real believers even in this land. I, I wouldn't say it couldn't happen. I had a preacher tell me one time, 
He said, Mitchell, if I had my way, if I had my way, I would liquidate all you fellows who believe that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross and shed his blood to put away sin. Away with such a gospel, such a message of gore. This is what he told me. If I had my way, I'd like to liquidate you fellows. Well, I said to him, I'm very glad you don't have that way. I'm glad I'm living in a generation and living in a country where they permit me to love the Savior and talk about him and preach about him and even and even broadcast it over the radio. In fact, I don't know of any country in the world where you have so much freedom to hear the Word of God as you have here in America. And God grant that we may not just take things for granted, but our Lord here in his message, in answering the question of his disciples, is warning them of the fact that all through this church age, there's going to be persecution of those who love the Savior. This is history, my friend. This is history. But when you come down toward the end of this age, there is going to be a growing opposition to the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm speaking of the world now, not just, not just here, not just in some uh, tribal people down in South America or some group in Africa or over in Southeast Asia. I'm just telling you very frankly that, that it would not surprise me, even in our generation, that there will become a growing antipathy and enmity against the gospel of the grace of God. Not against religion, but against the gospel of the grace of God, those who put their trust in the Savior. Now, you notice what it says here in verse 13. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, he's not talking about salvation from sin. When he says, you should, same shall be saved, if you use the word, the saved shall be delivered. It's the same word, shall be delivered. And I'm sure that in the tribulation period starts at verse 14 and follows through. In chapter 13 of Mark, you'll notice that this deliverance is to go through this period of persecution and be here when the Lord returns to the earth to set up his kingdom. You'll be delivered from these things and go right into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth when he comes to reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, if you want the detail of that, you can go to the book of Revelation, starting at chapter 4 and reading on down through chapter 20, especially through 19. And you have, you have what's going to take place at the end of this age, which will be taking up from verse 14 right on down through to verse 27. And I'd like you to, to think about it, read about it, and again, I say, you read those portions we mentioned again, Matthew 24 and 25, and Luke 21, other passages which I'll give you in our next lesson. I read it, and may the Lord wonderfully, wonderfully bless you today for his precious namesake. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.